Amen. Amen and amen. That's some good worship, peeps. Yeah. I'm okay not to preach if we just keep worshiping, you know. Like, I've heard this message already. <laughs> uh, we are in our book series, uh, The Good and Beautiful God, and this is the second book, which is The Good and Beautiful Life, and I really want to encourage you, if you've not joined in in this series, to do so. These books are phenomenal, and uh, I spend a lot of time in them because uh, my wife and I will listen to them when we're traveling, and so I'll listen to each chapter probably three or four times before I preach, and just uh, every single time the Lord is just downloading new thoughts and new things, and so very excited to be in this. Today we're going to start and look at uh, the greatest sermon that was ever recorded by Jesus Christ, which is the Sermon on the Mount. It is three chapters of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so these three chapters are, are just the most um, recorded simultaneous teaching of Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. And so you want to pay attention for the next several weeks as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start and uh, look at that in the very first section of the Sermon on the Mount is a thing called the Beatitudes. But before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to understand scripturally how we arrive at this place. It's kind of an important journey. And so Jesus comes on the scene uh, back in Matthew chapter 3, and he's baptized by John the Baptist, and he's affirmed by the Father. So you know the one where the, uh, the voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So the Father uh, is speaking from heaven. The Bible records that the, 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 the Holy Spirit descends upon him like in the form of a dove. And uh, so we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one scripture, which is an affirmation of the Trinitarian nature of God, three, three persons of the Godhead, and uh, incredible. And so he affirms him, and I want you to understand that before Jesus does anything to earn the favor of God, before he can, before he can serve one day, God anoints him and says, this is my son who I accept, who is significant, who is, who is secure in my love, and I want you to know that's exactly how God sees you. This is how God sees you. He's accepted you into his presence you're secure in his love. You are significant because you represent the kingdom of God and you've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. So that's the start of this, okay? So then Jesus is led after that into the wilderness where he's tested and tempted by the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. He passes uh, the tests of the enemy and uh, we know that even in our life, these, these tests are still the same. That's a whole other teaching. Uh, which we've taught on in the past, but the devil basically has three cards that he tries to continually play, and if you understand his arsenal, you will overcome him through the power of what Jesus Christ has done. So he comes out of that time of testing. He declares the kingdom of God's rule has come into this world, Matthew chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. He calls his first co-workers to join him in the kingdom work. 
Now, what's interesting about that? In Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22, he calls the unqualified. He calls people that would never qualify under the Old Testament law. He doesn't, they would never make it. And uh, he calls fishermen and he calls uh, ex-tax collectors. He even calls former uh, prostitutes. He calls people that, you know, you'd never think would be the priesthood of new believers. And yet he does that. And then he demonstrates the power of the kingdom of God from that going forward forward uh, chapter 4 verse 22 to 25 listen to what it says Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom healing every disease and sickness among the people then we come to chapter 5 chapter 5 is the beginning of the beatitudes but let me read a little section of that cuz i want you to understand it Jesus is speaking he says do not think that i have come to abolish the law and the prophets I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Indeed, I assure you, as long as heaven and earth endure, not even the smallest detail of the law will be done away with until its purpose is complete. So whoever violates even the least important of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever obeys them and teaches others that are truths and others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, why am I starting with that scripture Uh, because as we go into chapter 5 through 7, I'm going to tell you a little secret. It's going to seem really difficult. (laughs) When you go into chapter 5 and chapter all the way through chapter 7, it seems like the Old Testament becomes very easy, because Jesus actually fills up the law, and that's our first point. Jesus fills up the law. That's why I said that to you. You know, he said things like this. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. This is all in that Sermon on the Mount. You know, he'd say things like, you'd heard it say, don't murder. And all of us would go, yes, that's true. But then he says, but if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. (gasps) My brother and I would not make it. We were Scottish. My nose was not this shape my whole life. It was broken playing a game of risk with my brother. (laughs) I took Australia. Who knew that he would be that angry about it? (laughs) All the risk players say, I understand. You know, he says, don't swear, you know, by your head or by heaven or earth. You don't own the earth. You don't earn the hair on your head. How can you swear? Let your yes be your yes, your no be your no. He goes through all these things and he fills up the law. Are you following what I'm saying? He's showing the world uh, that it is impossible to reach God and to live with God in and of your own strength. You cannot do it. And so this is where we start. And it's interesting that he's, you know, we say an eye for an eye. And he says, if your brother strikes you, turn your cheek so he gets to strike the other one. If he asks you to walk a mile, walk two miles. You're like, man, this is hard. Yeah, that's right. Now, Jesus is saying in these things, he's saying, you're not lawless. It's impossible to live up to the law, but it doesn't make you lawless. The law that we live up to is a law of love. It's a higher law. It's a greater law. And this is what Christ is inviting us into. So now we get into the Beatitudes. Jesus is inviting all to enter and live in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to the Sermon on the Mount. 
with the Beatitudes starting. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think the Beatitudes models who are allowed into the kingdom, and it also sets the attitude of those who dwell within. I often have thought of my whole Christian life as the Beatitudes are like a pathway of discipleship. And I want you to understand the, the first part of that pathway is an invitation to such a large group that it's kind of actually crazy. It's amazing. You have to understand the context of the audience listening to Jesus in this moment. Because the way that Jewish teachers had taught the kingdom of God, this was the requirements for you to enter in. They saw the kingdom as something culminating in the return of Christ, our God. At that, they didn't believe in Christ, but uh, they believed in a Messiah, but he hadn't come yet. So it, when he returned, this is who would enter the kingdom. This is the, what they believed. Number one, you had to be Jewish. You had to be Jewish. Number two, the recipients of the kingdom would be male only. In Jesus' day, when women were considered second class, even worse, they were mere property. Some rabbis even said that women did not have souls. Wow. The recipients of the kingdom would be faithful keepers of the law, holy and ritually pure. They were not only people that would eat kosher, they would observe the Sabbath, and someone who was a known sinner, such as a prostitute, an adulterer, or a tax collector, would never enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom could be entered uh, by physically whole and healthy people. Sickness was a sign of uh, God's curse and sin. So if you had a physical ailment, you weren't going to be in the kingdom. Not good news. And the poor, by the way, had been abandoned by God as well. This is incredible. So those who entered the kingdom of God comprised of this list. They were a very exclusive club. They were Jewish, male, religiously upright, wealthy, and healthy. Wow. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. <coughs> I'm not sick. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So Jesus comes and he turns this narrative completely upside down. How many know that's good news? Yeah, that's good news. So Jesus, let me check this out. He invites the poor. He touches lepers. He heals people. He forgives even Gentiles, even female Gentiles, and notoriously sinful people, and they're all invited to come into the kingdom of God. See, Jesus' narratives, church, the Beatitudes are an invitation of inclusion to any and to all. Good news. And the word blessed, every Beatitude starts with blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are all these different blessings. The word blessed means this, happy, 
to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward condition. So every time you read the Beatitude, you have to say that. Okay, so happy to be envied and spiritually prospered with the life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward condition are the poor. Blessed, uh, envied, and spiritually prospered. I mean, can you imagine? Yet yeah, that's what he's saying. It's saying like this, is a, this, is, this blessing is not like, oh, I bless you. This is like, this is like you are rich. You are replete with blessing. You have been given incredible favor and incredible blessing in your life. And this is what God is saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to start by understanding the Beatitudes start where the book ends. And the bookends of the nine Beatitudes are that you get the kingdom of heaven and the back bookend at the bottom is you get the kingdom of heaven. So it starts with, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Dallas Willard has the greatest definition of poor in spirit. Spiritual zeros. Spiritual zeros. You'd look at them and say, these guys will never qualify for the kingdom of heaven. They're, they can never make it. Look at them, man. They're spiritual zeros. Jesus is saying to all you spiritual zeros who do not qualify, yours is the kingdom. And so the attitude, you see, the Beatitudes are interesting because it's, I think it's not only who we're included in that, but I, think, I call them the B-attitudes. It's a state of being or an attitude that God wants us to have. If we're going to walk this pathway of discipleship, we have to have the attitude of being poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? That, oh, woe, is, woe am I, I'm poor in spirit. You know what it means? It's simply this. In and of myself, I do not qualify. Pick me! Pick me! Did you ever play sports as a kid? With the other kids? Oh, I was a middle-of-the-road sports guy. I wasn't the worst, and it wasn't the best. But I was in the middle. And I loved being in the middle, because I meant that I wasn't the worst. And the worst was that guy that everyone waited and everyone picked. And then it's like, you ever have that guy say like, I got to take him? Seriously, you have him. No, I don't want him. He's on your team. Okay. Jesus picks that guy first. <laughs> Woo! Picks the losers first. So good. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This means those whose situation is wretched. They might appear abandoned by God. The loss of relationship, loss of health, loss of income. Remember the list that the people are listening to. Remember they were taught this their whole life. If you're sick, if you're going through different things, you're not blessed by God, you've lost God's favor. And so suddenly Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you mourn, when you're broken, when you've gone through loss, for you shall be comforted. And, you know, I, I think the attitude, the attitude that you need to have if you're walking this pathway of discipleship, and, uh, you know, we, we sang that, that, that song, Waymaker, and I wanted to sing that song because I want you to understand that the pathway is a person, and his name is Jesus. And we're going to get there in a minute. We're going to arrive there, but just start 
percolate that in your brain for a bit. Blessed are those who mourn. You know what? I think that could mean an outward condition, but I also think it means an inward understanding. When I first became a Christian, uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I immediately began to try to be holy. I tried. I, I tried to quit smoking. I tried. You used to smoke? I did. I used to smoke a pack a day. I know. And I tried to quit smoking, and I tried to do all these things, and I tried to be better, and I tried to stop swearing, and I, I did okay, but I lost half of my vocabulary when I got saved. Like, I, I didn't know what to do. And, and, and suddenly, I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like I've missed it. I'm feeling like, I, oh, look, I'm such a loser. I can't live this life. And you know what Jesus says to me? Good. Blessed are you when you mourn your inability to live the kingdom life because you shall be comforted. Now, that doesn't mean that the, you know, God says, oh, there, there, Greg. Oh, you're going to be okay. You're okay, you little sinner. It's not what it means, okay? What he's talking about, he's saying you shall be filled and made replete with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, comfort is not something God gives to us. It's something that he is in the person of the Holy Spirit. The comforter comes not with condolences or mourning for our inability. He comes with a new power to live in the new life in our new country. Listen to what Jesus says about the comforter, the Holy Spirit. However, I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you to be in close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send them to, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Church, when you come into the kingdom, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The very power and the presence of God abides in you and will walk with you on this journey called discipleship. And this is your life and my life. Amen? This is what we're invited into. So it keeps going. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, some people think meek means weak, but the, it's, it, it is exactly the opposite the exact Greek word for the word meek is power in submission. The Greeks used to describe war horses as meek. What that meant was they were broken. Though they were stallions, though they were powerful, they could be led into battle and they, the rider could just move them with his hips or his feet and he could, he could battle and the, the, the horse would not bolt. It would go exactly where it was commanded to go by its rider. How many of you know that's an idea of a picture of meekness? You see, you are powerful, you war horses. It's one of the character traits of Jesus Christ meekness. He said, my yoke is upon you, and you come and take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Was there anyone more powerful that was in submission than Jesus Christ? Remember, at the, my wife and I were talking at the Garden of Gethsemane, 
and he, they're like, they're getting ready to take him away, and they think they've captured him, and, uh, you know, Peter cuts off the, sla- the servant's ear, and Jesus puts it back on and heals it, cool moment. Anyway, um, he says, don't you think that I could call seven legions of angels in a moment they would be here to rescue me? Seven legions, guys, is 7,000 angels. The Bible records that one angel destroys a third of mankind. (laughs) So, seven legions of angels. If Jesus had said, Father, I'm done. These people are crazy. I don't want to be here. Take me out of here. You would have been over. But instead, what did he say? Father, not my will, but your will be done. You see, God is calling us as a church family and understanding on the pathway of discipleship church, there is great power in this thing called submission. You see, we are wildly independent creatures, but we come into a kingdom, and the kingdom is the place where we're no longer in charge. We're to learn new character trait called meekness. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have power and authority. How many of you know you have power and authority over your own life? Discipleship is when you decide to bring your kingdom within the kingdom of God and say, God, I want to live my life that reflects your nature, your glory, your power, your presence. You know, we live in this world today, and really much of our world today has been undermining submission to authority. And I want to I just kind of boldly go where no pastor dares to go for a little bit, uh, because COVID has been a very interesting study in submission. Okay. My wife's like, mm, don't say that again in the second service. Maybe change the way you put that in the first service. So let me, let me put it another way. Um, you know, the highest calling in your life and in my life is love. Love means to will the good of another. And so, you know, one of the things that's been strained and tested in our lives through this entire season has been how, what, what do we submit to and what do we not submit to? I'm not even really debating that, okay? We have been, as a church family, we've posted what the government has required of us but we have not policed what the government requires of us, okay? However, with that said, if this beatitude has anything to say to us, it must start as a mirror. And the mirror in our life is saying, what am I asking you to submit to in your life? Because Church, listen, the greatest thing, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I think we're coming out of this. I think we're coming out of this because it's starting to shape and show that way and other nations are making decisions. And I think we're going to see this coming to an end. But the reality is it's still a measure of our own hearts. This is what God is more interested in than anything else. Because if love wills the good of another, then you need to be careful Because the higher value in the kingdom of God is not your rights. It is love. Amen? 
And so you constantly need to let the Spirit of God shape that moment in you. You know, I, in the first service, I talked about the fact that when Jesus was tempted, and this is a temptation that has carried on throughout the body of Christ for thousands of years. It's one of the temptations of the enemy. He takes him to the top of the temple, and he, and he says, you know, if you, basically what he says is, throw yourself down from here. Because if, you know, God says in his word, he, the devil quotes the word of God. I don't know if you knew that. The word of God says that you, the angels of God will attend to you and you shall not even strike your foot on the ground. So basically what he's saying is prove that you trust God if you are the son of God. And of course, Jesus answers and says what? Oh, buddy, the word interprets the word. He doesn't call him buddy though calls him devil. And he says, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Amen? So throughout centuries, church, churches and Christians have heard the devil speak in their ear and say things like, if you really trust God, you shouldn't take your medication. If you really trust God, smash your glasses. I had a friend who smashed his glasses and for a year walked around and couldn't see a thing. And he thought he was showing faith. Amen? What I'm saying is, guys, we're coming to the finish line of this, I think, in the next couple months. That's my feeling. But God is looking at how you're loving one another. For love wills the good of another. You know, if people are uncomfortable, let me give you just a for instance. If people are uncomfortable with you shaking hands with them, do they lack faith by asking you not to do that? Does it take more faith to get the vaccination or not to get the vaccination? Church, this is the test of Jesus Christ in us right now. God is looking at our hearts. Amen? I'm going to tell you, COVID's going to come to an end, and some people are still going to wear masks. Are you going to be okay with that? Yes. Why? Because love serves and wills the good of every other person. It's not about me. Okay. That was it. Sorry. Good news is this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be so mercy. So you get to go there in a minute for me. Okay, here we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm going to be honest with you. Greg Fraser hungers and thirsts after sometimes things that are not the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Sometimes he hungers and thirsts for the things of this world. And so God comes to me and he says, Greg, will you change your attitude? Will you change your mindset? Will you let me start to work with you? He's not condemning you for having that hunger or that attitude. He's saying you need to curve it in a different direction. This is part of discipleship. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? We're going to get there. Hang in there. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You know, we're in a society that is bent on revenge and anger. And, you know, God is saying that is not the kingdom of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You know, I'm going to tell you, and those of you that run businesses or those of you that manage people in any way, 
This is the most difficult moment in history of managing people. You are damned if you do and damned if you don't. Now, can I get political for a minute? I'm shocked that our premier is at a 22% approval rating. You're like, why are you shocked? He's an idiot. Well, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. I'm shocked because you live in the freest province in all of Canada. My brothers and sisters in parts of British Columbia have not had church in two years. Be careful what you wish for in your anger. Okay, moving right along. Praise God, Pastor Greg. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How many of you know you need to see God? In seeing God, you're transformed into His image. So if I can't see Him, then I'm in trouble. But, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. Sometimes Greg Fraser is not the most pure in heart. Sometimes he has other thoughts. Sometimes he lifts up his eyes to idols. Sometimes he makes mistakes. Sometimes he does things wrong. How can I be pure in heart? How many of you know if you see Jesus, you see God? C.S. Lewis said these words. I mean, it's incredible what he said. I have never had a selfless thought. How many of you know that's a guy who's pretty self-aware? C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Probably the most brilliant guy in the 20th century. Just putting it out there. You might want to listen to him. Okay. Our motives are often mixed, often selfish. We speak about without, you know, we don't speak without guile. Our love sometimes, does it always have pure intentions? Do we serve without motives? You know, we, all these things as we're walking this path of discipleship, it's not to condemn us, it's to show us our desperate need of God in order to live this life out. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Church, you are peacemakers, and your greatest job is to bring people into the revelation that God is no longer angry with them. He never was. <laughs> He has made a way for them to walk in relationship with himself. That's the peace that you are bridging. You are the peacemakers that bring people to a revelation that through Christ, I have peace with God. But how many of you know you're also the peacemakers in the body of Christ and in the world, and that you bring peace between people that are having conflict in their life? Has COVID created conflict in the lives of people? In families, you guys. My wife and I have counseled families that are just pulling apart because of this. This is not the heart or intent of God. Amen? Okay. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, I think we're so easily offended by the slightest criticism we want praise, not persecution. I'm brutal for that. I, I love it. I don't, want to, I don't want to rebuke you. I hate it. I don't want to say, come on, people. I just want to love and let love and live in the love boat. Like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so, at first, the Beatitudes seem to create this impossible standard of how can we possibly live up to it. But here's the next good news that you and I need to understand. 
Jesus is the kingdom come, and those who place faith in him live the blessed life. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he replied to them by saying, the kingdom of God does not come with the signs to be observed or to be with a visible display, nor will people say, look, here it is, see, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your heart and among you and surrounding you. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And what he was saying is, if you have me, if you're in relationship with me, you have the kingdom. If you're in Christ and you're walking with Jesus, the kingdom of God is yours. Because the kingdom of God is a reflection of the king. And if I'm in the king, then the kingdom's mine. Amen? So the invitation, guys, is not that you go and start trying to live this holy life. The invitation is you live a holy life because you abide with the king of the kingdom. Your whole job as a Christian is to spend time with God at your workplace, spend time with God, bring God into your home, bring God into your business decision, bring God into your relationships, bring God into your neighborhood, bring God into your discussions. And when you do that, the kingdom of God becomes yours. See, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the pathway to blessedness. The key has never been trying to live that out on our own, but in living it with Christ. Jesus does not introduce people to a concept or a religious idea. He invites them into a vibrant, interactive relationship with himself. This is the kingdom of God. See, all the blessings in my life are because I'm in Christ. Amen? He's the only one who's made himself poor so that I could become rich. He was meek that I might receive the inheritance of the world. He's the only one who was righteous so that I might be filled with righteousness. He was the only one who was merciful that I might receive and obtain mercy. He is the peacemaker. He was the persecuted and yet he gives me the kingdom. But what do I do, Pastor Greg, when I fall short? What do I do when I get angry? What do I do when I don't measure up? This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. And I want you to grasp this last point because it could change your life. Jesus invites us to walk in the light with him. I'm on the path. The path is a person. His name is Jesus. I'm walking with him. And Greg Fraser stumbles along as he walks on the path. He's not pure in heart all the time. He's not merciful all the time. He's not pursuing righteousness all the time. He's not being a peacemaker all the time. Sometimes I want to bite people's heads off. (laughs) This is what Jesus tells Greg Fraser to do. If we claim that we share life with him but keep walking in the realm of darkness, we're fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. If we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and 
We are strangers to the truth, but if we freely admit our sins, when the light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we're not guilty of sin when God uncovers it in his light, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. Church, as we walk on this next journey through Matthew chapter 5 to 7, we are walking the pathway of discipleship. And I'm going to tell you, you are going to be convicted of things that you are not living. I am so not looking forward to two weeks from now to preach on anger. It is my greatest sin. It usually is of passionate people. I'm a great, passionate person. I am the guy that paints his chest blue and orange at the hockey game. That is me. I love being passionate. But how many know passionate people can get in trouble? And how do they get in trouble? Tongue. Anger. So I'm listening to that one a lot and repenting. My wife says, listen to it again. (laughs) (laughs) So there's things that are going to be exposed in you. But I want you to understand, church, it's not to condemn you. It's to set you free. And your response to that painful exposure is simply to agree Oswald Chambers said, when God reveals something in you that you're doing wrong, he does not ask you to fix it. He asks you to accept the light, and he will set it right. So when the light is exposing sin, as Greg Fraser is walking the pathway of discipleship, how many of you know Greg Fraser needs to repent sometimes two, three, 20, 50 times a day? I must be driving in Edmonton. Amen. Yes, you're true. That is an accurate statement. (laughs) No, drive in Boston. It's a whole other world. Edmonton is beautiful. Anyway, that's a funny story. I got to tell you this story. This guy's driving in Boston. (laughs) And we're driving and there's two lanes and I'm behind him and he just parks his car. There's the parking area. Then he parks his car in the lane and just goes to the store. (laughs) And I'm like, are you serious, man? Anyway, there's my, that was a free one. You're walking in the light, church. There's a great story in the Bible in Luke chapter 18. It's the parable of the tax collector and the sinner, or, or the Pharisee, Pharisee and the tax collector. So here's the story. So the Pharisee, who's the religious upright guy, goes into the temple, the Bible says, and he starts expounding on, you know, God, I thank you that I am not like this sinner who can't come into the temple. I thank you that I'm an upright man. I thank you that I'm godly. I thank you that I'm a Pharisee. I thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so welcome to have me. You're so blessed, God. And the Bible says the the tax collector stands on the outside of the temple. He's not allowed in. And the Bible says he bows his head and he beats his breast 
And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus shocks the crowd when he says, I tell you the truth, that man went away justified before God and not the Pharisee. Church, don't be afraid to bring your sins into the light. Don't be afraid. But pastor, I've already repented of that. I don't care if you've got to repent 70 times, seven times. If you will bring it in the light, God will forgive you. And he will help you to overcome. Because how many of you know some sins are so embedded in you, they're not going to be done with one dealing before God? The band's going to come back now. We are walking the pathway of discipleship. And on this pathway, you need a relationship with the living God. Amen? You cannot do it on your own. And by the way, it's really good to have a relationship with people in the body of Christ. You okay, buddy? That's good. You held it together. Good job. Barely, Barely I know. <laughs> what we learned today, church, is that Jesus fills up the law in the Sermon on the Mount. He makes it impossible for you to think you can do it on your own. And then he invites the most unlikely of us into the kingdom to live with him. And he says, if you will but live in the kingdom with me, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And when you fall down, and you will fall down, and you will fall down, and you will fall down, just keep bringing it into the light. Because if you bring it in the light, the blood of his son Jesus has cleansed you, is cleansing you, and will cleanse you. That's the Greek. It's in the continual present tense. Your job is to stay in the light as he is in the light. And that painful uncovering, all you have to say is, yes, Lord, I agree. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep moving forward. Amen? Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, oh, I keep trying to do this on my own. I keep stumbling. I keep failing. I keep forgetting that um, I only can do this because I'm in Christ. And he walks with me and talks with me and places his spirit within me. I need to reset my focus that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and keeping of rules, but of walking in a relationship with God by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom of righteousness, of joy, and of peace. If that's you here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I just need to reset my focus that I'm with God and He is with me. Even though I stumble, He never leaves me nor forsakes me, but just asks me to lift it up to Him. If that's you, raise your hand and give me a wave. Say, Pastor Greg, I'm, the, I'm that person. I raise my hand. My hand goes up. Amen? I think most of us would say, I, I agree with that, Pastor Greg. I hear you. I want to walk with God. I want to walk on the way. Amen? 
If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I've never even come into the kingdom of God. I didn't know the kingdom was open. I didn't know I could come just as I am. Not trying to fix one thing. Not trying to stop something before I come in, but come in just as I am. If that is you here today or you're watching online today, you're saying, man, I, I, I need to come into the kingdom of God because I need help. I need something more in my life. I can't do this life on my own. I need to do this life with God. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray together with you. I know your hand's heavy. I know it's a heavy hand right now, but I want you to raise it. If you're watching online, there's a place for you to press a button that says, I made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. We want to celebrate with you. Church, your job is to let people know that the kingdom of God is open because people are desperate to come in and to find hope. If you raised your hand, and I didn't see you, it's pretty bright up here, or you raised it online, let's pray together with all these that did. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, that I might live with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus Christ a hand clap today. Now you're going to stand to your feet and you're going to sing a song. There's going to be some people that are going to be waiting to pray with you. If you need prayer at the cross, you can go there. But let's sing this song first together. And as you're singing about the way maker, remember that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Let's sing it together right now. God, thank you for your people today, Lord. I pray the blessing of the peace of Christ, the joy of the Lord to be their strength, God. Thank you that, Lord, you have promised us that there is now therefore no condemnation. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Amen? You are free. You are free to love people. You are free to honor people. You are free to not have to feel like you have to display faith in a, in a wrong way that violates people's love, violates grace. You are free to go in the victory and the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to live out this life as a conqueror, to live out this life as an overcomer. This is who you are. This is whose you are. Now go in the victory of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's sing it one more time. Hallelujah. My God, that is who you are. My God, that is who you are. 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 I know you don't want to leave. I'm leaving. You're welcome to stay. But if you are going, go in grace and go in peace and love one another fiercely for this is why you were created. Amen? Let's give the Lord Jesus one more hand clap today. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the band a hand clap today. Hallelujah. They did a great job today. Hallelujah. We're blessed, church. Amen. See you next week. God bless you.